Hello, everyone. Well, I don't know where you were this past summer on August 21st, 2017, but in the middle of the day, the moon blocked out the light of the sun in a total solar eclipse. Now, solar eclipses aren't actually that rare. One occurs visible somewhere on Earth about once every 18 months. What made this particular solar eclipse this past summer so special was that it was the first total solar eclipse to be visible on a path from coast to coast across the U.S. in 99 years. Now, you may already know this, but the sun's diameter is about 400 times bigger than the diameter of the moon, but it's also about 400 times farther away. And so, because of perspective, they can seem the same size in the sky when they align perfectly. And so it's really just a crazy quirk of cosmic geometry that when these two very different heavenly bodies line up perfectly, the tiny moon is able to block out even the last sliver of light from the giant sun. And when that happens, everyone in the path of totality experiences darkness in the middle of the day. Now, here in Baltimore, we were not in the path of totality, but that didn't stop my husband from getting really into it. I mean, really into it. He read all about it. We had a very open discussion about what amount of money is the appropriate amount of money to spend on eclipse glasses. I eventually gave in and we budgeted for said glasses. He took a half day off of work. He laid out blankets and chairs in the backyard to have a little bit of a party. And I will say that I took back all of my naysaying when my glasses allowed me to look directly at the sun as the moon gradually slipped into place, blocking out the sun's light. And we really, we all loved it. The kids absolutely loved it. Ben ran all over the neighborhood sharing his glasses with any neighbors who came outside to see what all the fuss was about. It truly was amazing to see, but I will say there were a few minutes there that were also pretty eerie, just kind of weird. I mean, the world turned like a weird shade of gray, not dark, but not light either, and not dark like cloudy. It was just different. It's hard to explain. The temperature dropped several degrees. It was really hot that day here, but it was a noticeable difference. And for the 12.25 million people who live in the path of totality and the several other million who traveled to the path of totality to see it, it became almost completely dark in the middle of the day with just the light from the corona of the sun casting a dim glow. Today, we are continuing our series, Hard to Believe, by talking about doubt. And one of the best ways that I've heard the effects of doubt described is through considering the experience of a solar eclipse. Now, I want you to imagine with me for a moment that God is the sun and we are the earth. And I think it's a fitting metaphor because our lives, our existence, revolve around his existence. He offers us light and warmth that makes life possible and sustainable. He's so much greater than we are, and we are dependent on him. So we are the earth, and God is the sun, and the moon is our doubt. See, I personally believe that every single one of us has some measure of doubt that orbits around our hearts and our minds for our entire lives. And depending on the season of life or the circumstances we're going through, those doubts can appear maybe only at night or sometimes even during the day, 
They may appear larger or smaller just as the moon waxes and wanes, but for those of us who have seen the light of the sun and have come to understand all of the beautiful gifts that it gives to us, we are usually able to keep the moon in perspective. But there are times in our lives that even though the sun is 400 times bigger, because of perspective, because of our vantage point, because of our circumstances, the moon temporarily blocks out all the light of the sun. But it's not exciting, it's terrifying. And that's what doubt can feel like in our lives. It's the alignment of our unanswered questions, our painful circumstances, our fears. But unlike an eclipse that lasts just a couple minutes, that darkness in our lives can last months or years or even decades. And the darkness often feels permanent. I mean, everything we thought we knew to be true about God and about the world suddenly escapes us. It's hard to grasp onto. What we thought we knew, what we used to believe about God, it becomes obstructed by our doubt, and we wonder if we'll ever see his light in our lives again. I want to read you a quote that I find both really sad, but also refreshingly honest. And I'm not going to tell you who said it until after I read it. But this person said, where is my faith? Even deep down, right in, there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain. It pains without ceasing. I have no faith. I dare not utter the words and thoughts that crowd my heart and make me suffer untold agony. So many unanswered questions live within me. I'm afraid to uncover them. Do you know who said that? Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa. A woman who lived out her faith with incredible boldness and confidence and conviction. Even she, for a large season of her life, was plagued with doubt. Doubt that she says was too painful to even articulate. And I would guess that many of you listening today are struggling with some measure of doubt. Maybe your doubts center around the existence of God. Is God really there? Or maybe that's not what you're doubting. You believe that God is there, but your doubts are centering around his character. Is he good? Does God really care? Is he even paying attention to what's going on around me and in the world? Because if he is good and he does care, then why doesn't he do something? Is he even able to do anything? Whatever your doubts are, we are going to see today that Jesus isn't afraid of them. And so today, we're going to consider what we can learn from a conversation Jesus had with one of his followers who was plagued by doubt. In our last episode, we saw Jesus meet Mary Magdalene in her grief, weeping by the empty tomb, confused and devastated. And Jesus appears to her. He makes himself known to her by simply saying her name and then instructing her not to cling to his physical body, but to go out and announce to the other disciples that he was alive and well, that he was going to be ascending to the Father. And so Mary Magdalene runs off to find the disciples and tell them the good news. And then later that night, the very first Easter evening, after Mary has shared this good news with them, they're all gathered together in a room behind locked doors. Why were they behind locked doors? Because they were terrified of the Jewish leaders. So they are locked together, huddled together in this room, and Jesus shows up. 
He isn't bothered by the locked doors. He just appears in the room and he says, peace be with you. And after he said that, he showed them his hands and his side, his wounds from his crucifixion. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. But then we're told in verse 24 that one particular disciple wasn't there with them that first Easter evening when Jesus appeared. Thomas was absent that night. Now, if you grew up in church, you may have heard Thomas referred to by his nickname, Doubting Thomas. And his nickname has grown so much in popularity that now it's just an idiom in our secular culture. So people will use that phrase, Doubting Thomas, to describe anyone who's skeptical or refuses to believe something without proof. That person would be called a Doubting Thomas. And there's just a few verses here that capture the interaction where Thomas gets his nickname. In John chapter 20, starting in verse 24, we read, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. See, it's important that we stop and define what doubt really is. Doubt is the wavering between belief and unbelief. See, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is disbelief. And doubt is the middle. It's wavering between the two. In the New Testament, there are at least half a dozen Greek words that describe the general condition that we would call doubt. But the most common word for doubt in the New Testament is the Greek word diakrino. It's the word that James used to describe a man who asks God for wisdom, but then wavers concerning whether he thinks God's really going to grant the request. He says that person is like a wave that's being tossed back and forth. They're unsettled, undecided. And so we feel this wavering between belief and and unbelief. And that's where Thomas finds himself. He wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the other disciples. He missed it. And now he feels lost and confused. And he makes an ultimatum. He says, I will never be swayed to the side of belief unless I touch his hands and his side for myself. Have you ever done that? Have you ever made an ultimatum with God? If you heal her, I will follow you forever. If you come through for me right now, I will place my faith in you. If you would just give me a sign, then I would believe. If you've ever prayed something like that to God, then you're in good company with Thomas. Because he says, unless I see this, I will never believe. And then in verse 26, we read, Eight days later, Jesus' disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And it kind of feels like John is just setting up the scene, but I believe there is some important meaning in this one verse. So here's something important for us to understand about doubt. Doubt is sort of like a seesaw, as we said, between belief and unbelief. You're in the middle and you're not sure which way to go. But doubt is never neutral. So imagine that you're standing on top of that seesaw, right in the middle, right at the fulcrum of the seesaw, and you get to choose which way you will lean. So you either doubt toward belief or you doubt toward unbelief. And I think the fact that Thomas is there with the disciples that night, I believe means he's doubting toward belief. 
Thomas doesn't throw his hands up and say, you all say that you saw him, but I think you're crazy, so I'm out of here. After he makes his ultimatum, he sticks around. He puts himself in the room where the others experienced what he missed out on. Thomas doubts toward belief. And some of you listening, that's what you need to apply today. You need to stick around. Your doubts are pulling you away from church, away from community with other believers. Maybe you're taking a break from some of the things that were once part of your faith so that you can figure some things out. I want to challenge you. Go back. Stick it out. Put yourself in the room. Surround yourself with people who believe even when you are struggling. I told you in our last episode that there have been times in the last month that I have struggled to sing some of the words of the worship songs at church. It has been hard for me to be in church and look around and see others who seem to have no trouble boldly declaring these promises, but I'm struggling to believe them. And while it's difficult, I believe it's good for my soul to be there. There was a time two years ago when I was struggling with doubt more than I ever have in my life. And in the midst of that season of questioning and confusion and darkness, my oldest daughter placed her faith in Christ and expressed an interest in getting baptized. She was only seven years old at the time, and we wanted to make sure she understood her decision, and so we took steps with her. She was memorizing verses, and we were talking through a lot of her questions, and in the midst of all of it, I was struggling with my own faith. And I cried out to God, please don't let me miss this. Please don't let me miss this amazing experience because I'm struggling with darkness and doubt. And I felt like the father who brought his son to Jesus for healing in Mark 9 and begged, Jesus, if you can do anything, if you can, please take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And then the man says, I do believe. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. See, our human hearts will all experience the shadow of doubt at one time or another. Don't walk away. Lean toward Jesus. Cry out to him. Help me overcome my unbelief. Your doubt will lean toward one side or the other. It is not neutral. And if you do not intentionally lean toward God, the world will pull you to lean away from him. But Thomas chose to lean toward God, to put himself in the room with the other disciples. And just as Jesus met Mary Magdalene in her grief, in his grace, Jesus meets Thomas in his doubt. Verse 26, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then in verse 27, he turns right to Thomas and says to him, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. See, Jesus is hitting at the heart of what Thomas is experiencing. He says, Thomas, you're living in the middle. Do not disbelieve, believe. Jesus shows up and immediately turns to Thomas and offers him exactly what he asked for. Listen, Jesus isn't trying to make it hard for you. He's not trying to trick you. He isn't holding himself just out of arm's reach to torture you. But I know from personal experience that sometimes it can feel that way. And I don't know how God will answer your prayers, but it's important that we take this note from Thomas and be honest 
with God about our doubt. God instructed his people through the prophet Jeremiah. He said, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. So I encourage you, seek answers to your questions, but more than seeking answers, seek a person. Seek Jesus himself. Bring your questions to him. Bring your doubts. Be honest with him. He can handle it. And Jesus meets Thomas in his doubt and offers him exactly what he asked for, but then something really interesting happens. In verse 27, he says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And here's what I find so interesting about this. It's unclear whether Thomas took Jesus up on the offer. Jesus says, go ahead. You've said you'd never believe unless you touched the nail holes in my hand. Here they are. You said you wouldn't believe unless you put your hand in my side. Go ahead. Thomas answers him in verse 28 and just says, my Lord and my God. See, it's not explicit in the text whether or not Thomas ever touched Jesus' nail-scarred hands or put his hand in Jesus' side. He simply announces at the sight of Jesus, my Lord and my God. Listen, faith is not the sum of all of your answered questions. Faith ultimately is a gift. And hear me on this, intellectually exploring your questions about God, engaging with your doubts in an honest way, doing the hard work of investigating God's word, that is the greatest intellectual work you ever do, and you should do it. But ultimately, belief requires a step of faith, and faith is not earned, it's a gift. Ephesians 2.8 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. The grace is a gift and the faith is a gift. Ultimately, you and I have to go to Jesus and say, I don't have all my questions answered. I don't. I don't understand why you allow some things to happen in this broken world. I can't explain you. I don't always understand you. I can't box you in, but I want to believe. Help me believe. Give me faith. In verse 29, Jesus says to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, faith is a gift and it's a good gift. You and I will live with some measure of doubt orbiting around us. And there will be times in our lives when our doubts threaten to blot out the light of the truth that we believe. And when that happens, like Thomas, lean toward belief. Put yourself in the room. Be honest with God. Cry out to him. Say, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And then there's a third thing that we can do. And it's what Thomas does in verse 28 when he says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. See, Thomas acknowledged out loud with his lips, the truth about who Jesus is. And these are the last words that we hear from Thomas in this interaction. And they're words of praise. Praise is simply acknowledging who God is with your lips. See, Thomas, yes, he doubts, but ultimately, he believes. Thomas chooses 
belief. And he lives the rest of his life sharing the good news about Jesus. History records that Thomas went to India, where he lived the rest of his life and was eventually martyred for his faith. And my next-door neighbor, who is Indian-American, bears the maiden name Thomas because her ancestry goes all the way back to his original congregants who decided to take his name when they came to faith. Thomas believed. And I think calling him Doubting Thomas gives him kind of a bad rap. I mean, he doubts for like eight days. All the other disciples doubted until they saw Jesus face to face too. Practically every other person in the Bible struggled with doubt to some degree or another. We all struggle with doubt. But Thomas leaned toward belief and then he declared the truth about God with his lips, my Lord and my God. And there's someone else in the Bible who responds to his doubts in the same way. King David, who wrote many of the Psalms, offers us a ton of honesty about his feelings and about his doubts. And in Psalm 13, he writes about a particularly dark season of doubt that he's in, and he cries out to God, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Do you hear the eclipse language in this psalm? David is saying, why are you hiding from me, God? Where did you go? Why are you silent when I'm struggling down here? David is tortured by his doubt and his thoughts and his sorrow. He says, give light to my eyes, God. David is experiencing darkness, and it's as if he's begging, God, I don't know how much more of this I can take. It's so powerful that I feel the very life draining out of me. Where is your light? Where is the warmth of your presence? Everything that was once alive in my heart and my life feels like it's dying. He says, how long will you hide your face from me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. He's saying, look at me. Look at me. I feel like I'm looking at the back of your head, God. Where are you? Then David makes a remarkably sharp turn, and I don't know if he paused here and took a walk, if he put down his pen and came back to finish it later, or whether he just pushed through his feelings and wrote these words. But he finishes the psalm by saying, But I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. In the midst of his doubt, David leans toward belief. He chooses to trust. And then he chooses to praise. He chooses, despite his feelings, to proclaim what he believes to be true about God, even when he's struggling. It's almost as though David begins the psalm with the question, where are you now, God? I can't see you. And then he finishes the psalm by saying, even though I can't see you right now, I will choose belief. Even though I can't feel your goodness in my life, I will declare that you are good. And I will praise you for your goodness, your love, and your salvation. See, David, like Thomas, was honest about his doubts. He cried out to God and told him what he was feeling but then he leaned as hard as he could toward belief. So whatever doubts you're facing today, whether they're 
small and seemingly insignificant, or they are completely eclipsing the light and leaving you in darkness. I want to encourage you, be honest with God. Put yourself in the room and lean toward belief. And then, with whatever strength you can muster, praise him. Praise him that his unfailing love is trustworthy. Praise him that his salvation is available to us through Jesus. And praise God that he is good. And ask him for the gift of faith, even when you cannot see. I hope you'll come back in two weeks and join me on the podcast as we conclude this series by watching Jesus dismantle the power of fear in Peter's life. So I hope you'll come back and join me then. And until then, remember to dig deep.